goblins and ghouls, and welcome to another episode of My Haunted Life Podcast with me, your host, Angela Hartshorn. How is everyone doing out there today? I hope you are doing well. I know I'm personally exhausted and will actually be taking the weekend off. Doesn't hurt that there's a giant snowstorm coming in here in Colorado, so that helps to make plans not to go anywhere. We have plans for reading and video games and lots of extra sleep. So wherever you are, I hope you are also taking some time this weekend for yourself and maybe go have a snowball fight or build a snowman. 10 points to anyone that tries to make my ghost logo out of the snow. Speaking of Colorado, on this week's podcast, I am sharing my top most terrifying paranormal experience with you and discussing the history of the Lumber Baron Inn in Denver, Colorado with the one and only, backed by popular demand, my grandmother. I feel like I need to just get her to go ghost hunting with me. We can have our own little show. Maybe we'll do that for the Patreon page. We talk about what it was like for her living close to the house. What she remembers about the murders. Because she remembers this. And other strange Denver weirdness. So let's get into it, shall we? Grab yourself a cup of tea. Make sure the doors are locked and the sage is close by. I have a story to tell you. The Lumber Baron Inn is an absolutely beautiful and breathtaking building. Although it definitely does have a bit of an ominous feel to it. It's this four-story tall red granite building with a large turret on the front that almost looks like a castle out of a fairy tale. There's a beautiful grand staircase when you first walk in that just oozes romance. It reminds me of that scene in Titanic when Rose and Jack meet at the foot of the staircase. It's like that. Everything is lush, dark wood, and considering its history, it's amazing. A bit of it is still original. The current owners have wallpapered the ceilings with these turn-of-the-century inspired designs that are so wonderful to lay in a Victorian bed, though with modern mattresses, luckily, and just stare off into the patterns above you. Almost all of the furniture is antique. There's an absolutely stunning little ballroom on the fourth fourth floor with fairy lights and stars. There's also an adorable little bar in the study. One of the most striking elements of the Lumber Baron's current architecture is the giant silver star on top of the turret. In my research, I discovered its story. I may be a Colorado native, but I know very little about Denver. My family actually avoided the big city while my brother and I were growing up, unless Grandma was taking us to the Beale Theater for a Broadway show. Grandma absolutely loves Broadway shows, so she would take us anytime she could. 
the star on the top of the lumber baron's turret. And when I say star, picture more of a silver sea urchin, since it has 14 points, is definitely not a Queen Anne Victorian design. Apparently, it used to be on top of the Celebrity Sports Center off of Colorado Boulevard. It is 500 pounds and has been at the Lumber Baron since 2010. It was salvaged from a junkyard. The rest of the sign was lost to demolition. I thought that was interesting. The Lumber Baron Inn, also known as the John Moat Mansion. Remember, you don't come and listen to my podcast for proper pronunciations. Uh, was built in 1890 as a single-family home for John Mo- Moat, a Scottish immigrant who made his fortune in lumber, literally becoming a lumber baron. Hmm. Owning his own lumber mill and building over 200 buildings in the Denver area. He lived in the house with his wife and five children. He was an amazing craftsman, showcasing his skills in woodwork around the home in a variety of different woods. And he was very proud of, like, the variety, which is very interesting. And quite a bit of this is still in the house. Then the silver crash of 1893 happened, and he ended up losing most of his fortune. Sidebar, if you guys remember the Molly Brown house episode, this is the crash where they made their money. The house changed hands a couple of times and at one point was a business school and later converted into apartments. The house is 8,500 square feet and was originally built with seven bedrooms. When it was converted into a public living space, it became 13 apartments. I saw one article from the Westward, uh, a Denver paper, that said 23 apartments, but I think that's a typo because I don't think that's possible. I could be wrong, though. I do not have the blueprints in front of me to confirm or deny. As with any good old neighborhood, the area around the Lumber Baron went through a lot of changes. There was a depression, uh, crime got kind of bad in the area, and it became a little bit iffy. My grandmother, who at this time had two small children, lived in Denver around this time, actually only blocks away from the Lumber Baron, and remembers it well. One of the reasons she was ready to leave the Denver area was because of the murders that happened at the Lumber Baron. In October 1970s, the bodies of a 17-year-old Carolee Nock and 18-year-old Mary Ann Weber, Weaver was found in Knox's modest little apartment. The details are still unclear what exactly happened. It appears that one of the girls 
was attacked first. And the story goes, supposedly raped and strangled to death. The second girl is believed walked in on the murder and was shot and then stuffed under the bed in an attempt to hide the body. This is still a cold case and no motive was ever really discovered. Some speculate that it was a drug deal gone horribly wrong since according to some accounts marijuana was found in the room. Others think that it was a domestic violence situation where a violent boyfriend tracked down one of the girls after she ran away from him to be safe with a friend. I did read at one point that an ex-boyfriend was on the suspect list, but it's been a while and I could not find that again while preparing for the podcast. After a small word from our sponsors, I'll be back with my grandma to talk about what she remembers about the murders and my own personal experiences in the house. Okay, today I am on with one of the most popular uh, guests from the last season and highly, what's the word I want? Um, A lot of people wanted you back, which is funny to me, considering you, you can't even listen to the podcast. We're working on that still. So today I am on with my grandmother once again. Say hi, Grandma. Hi. And uh, we are going to talk about uh, the Lumber Baron Inn in Denver, Colorado. Because I've had an experience there. I grew up listening to you tell me about this place. Because on the first podcast you were on, we talked about... uh, Sir Galahad. And Oh yeah. Sir Galahad. He lived in uh he lived in um, in the house we lived in, yeah. Yeah, and that was pretty close to the lumber baron, correct? Yeah, that was on we lived off the intersection of thirty eighth and Tejon and where you were at was thirty sixth feet, so we were a couple streets down, yeah. Okay. So you remember walking past the house. You were telling me that this morning that you remember walking past with uh, uh, baby children at that point. Yeah, my my two children were small. One was in kindergarten, one was in the first grade. But it was after the murder happened that we went by to see out of curiosity to see where where the building was. Yeah, because it was kind of close where we lived. I was a little bit concerned, yeah. Oh, so you knew that the murder had already happened? Yeah. 
Well, even before that, when we used to go do the trick and treat for Halloween, and we go walk down the street, those buildings were kind of, the architect was Mediterranean or Victorian, they kind of, at night, they had a ghostly appearance anyhow, every one of the house, because they were narrow, the buildings were built narrow and tall, and they all had this turret window, where these, these murders happened, that's why it had a turret window, yeah. Or um, part of the architect, yeah. Uh, what what all? I guess we should probably actually talk about the murder and not just call it the murder. What all do you remember from the murder? Well, I remember when it came on the uh, news and about these girls being found dead, and they they figured. That at first, they didn't know they were doing investigation, and later the kind of determined it might have been drug related. Because this during the time when the hippies were thing was anti-establishment was going real, real strong. This was the '60s, so there was a lot of ghost stuff happening down in this neighborhood. It was kind of an older neighborhood, and it, just about anything could happen. Yeah. So was it like a but rough? We, we went by there, and it was really. Spooky. I had such bad vibes about it. My hair would, back of my neck would stand up, and I, I told the kids to look, and then we're leaving. <laughs> but we drove by. One time we walked by, but that was initial. Then, I, then we would drive by and look while the investigation was going on. But these girls were, were murdered. I can't remember if they were murdered viciously or what. Yeah, it was... It was strangled or shot, I'm not sure. Well, both. So, I'm going to pull it up so I don't get it wrong myself. But, um, one of the girls, and I can't remember which one is which, unfortunately. Um, but, do 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 I have to pull it up real quick. Um, one was the one that was the target of the attack, is what they think happened. And, um, they believe, even though it wasn't ever really documented, that she was, uh, raped and then strangled to death. And then the other girl happened to come home during this time. And she was shot. And then, like, stuffed under the bed. Because if I remember correctly, they didn't find her right away. Because they couldn't find her. But they found the other one. Uh, yeah, but, you know, I always remember there being a third girl. And I don't hear that mentioned anymore. But I always that there was a third one present, yeah. Yeah, I've never, I've never found anything on the third one, but I don't know. That's just what the news was at that time, so... And maybe they they ruled it out later on, but yeah, they they were um, and even in later on, going by, people says that they could see a light from the window where these girls' place was was shine through there because it wasn't it wasn't re-rented, you know, and it, it gave a spooky thing. People were calling it their their ghost then at that time. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty quick then. But that was the last I remember, and then two, not too long after that, we moved from Denver, so whatever happened. But I do know that they, 
I don't think officially they ever found who did it. They did not. No one was ever tried or convicted for the case whatsoever. Yeah, I just know what this building building was. I don't know if they turned them into apartments or just sleeping rooms, but it was kind of an eerie-looking place, and it was there on a... On a sort of a side street on 36, and it was it was a spooky area, especially at night. You just didn't go down there at night. That's all. Um. So at that point, because what they did with a lot of Victorians at that point, they went and uh, renovated them into apartments. So at that point, when the girls were there, uh, they were apartments. Now it's a a bed and breakfast again, kind of thing. Yeah, that's strange, because <laughs> there is history with that building, yeah. Yeah, no, it it's it's very interesting. Um, uh, and the, the why is always kind of a, a weird thing, because no one really knows why they were murdered either. Some people think it was drug-related, um... Well, that's what the police rules rules later on. Yeah, that's the last I heard about it. Yeah. Okay, uh, I know there was another theory that it was like a bad boyfriend, a domestic violence issue kind of thing. Well, you know, at that time the hippies were kind of considered sort of a scourge, and people were looking down on on the ones that are real true hippies that were commuting all over the place and on traveling just going to any was and anything. And so I don't think they gave it uh, as much investigation as they should have at the time, but that's just my opinion. Well, no, I completely agree with you because obviously there's, there's no justice for these girls, um, which is really sad. And um, uh, uh, the date... The Denver Post headline was on October 12th, 1970. So yeah, right at the end. For Halloween. That's when I was always scared to go Halloween with the kids. Oh. Was it, was it like a... <laughs> was it like a bad neighborhood? Or would you say it was just kind of a run-down area? No, it wasn't. It was an old neighborhood, but it, no, it wasn't that. It, it was good neighborhood. The houses were real nice. It's just that the architect of it gave it a Dracula look. I guess <laughs> you might say the old time Dracula movie look, and it, it, it was it was spooky. I mean, night. yeah. I mean, the turrets always do that. I think the technical architectural term is Queen Anne styled. But nobody. All I know is the houses were straight up. The lots weren't very big. They tried to squeeze every house they could in that area, and the houses were built straight up. And then they would make these churches, you know, big out in the front of the houses. I know there was one that around the corner from that where those girls were killed. I just would not go up there. George would go up there with the Halloween with the kids for trick and treat. There was a little old lady that lived there. I remember her coming to the door. But, oh, I would not go near that house for anything. I, it, it was spooky. There was spooky real, uh, area. And look, at our house, we had a spook, so. 
And like you said, we referred to him as Sir Galahad. Yeah. And when we moved out of there, I guess that there's Sir Galahad. We're moving to Grand Junction, although we were moving to Canyon City. I just didn't want Sir Galahad <laughs> following us. So do do you did it just seem like it was like a weird haunted area? Because you're. It seems like there's a lot of spirit activity in this one area of Denver. Yeah, that's the way I. That's the way I felt about it. Yeah. Uh, is this anywhere near Cheeseman? When you got down from the, where we lived on Thirty Eighth, getting down into Thirty about Thirty Sixth Avenue, where these girls were killed. That from there on, it was really weird. Hmm. Is this anywhere near Cheeseman Park? Achievement Park was up the street a little bit. It was off of 38th, but it was up the street, yeah. Okay, so it, it's relatively close, but not like your backyard kind of thing. You're talking about the old Achievement Park. Yeah. Yeah. It was up all maybe, let's see, I used to go up, you go past Federal and then up a couple houses a couple of streets up there. It wasn't too awful far, yeah. Okay. We could drive it in about 10 minutes, yeah. Oh, okay. Because I know that that's also incredibly haunted. Yes, it is. And, and, and at the same time, well, this is a different story, but my brother-in-law was raised in this house. It was on, right in there, what was history? That was 36, on 34th, 35th, or 34th there, his parents were living there. And it was right next door to the house where the guy was staying up in the attic. <gasps> and and the, the fellow that owned the house came home one day. He didn't go to work or something, and the guy had come down because he would come down and get something to eat and then go back up in the attic. And he'd been up there for months. And... The attic, what we called them, was just a trap door in the ceiling of a closet. So it wasn't like they had steps or anything. Anyhow, when he came down, this guy caught him and he murdered him. And then he went back up there. They finally, the police caught him and was able to get him out. But he, he'd been up there for months coming down when they weren't home and doing whatever he had to do. Yeah. So it was right in that immediate area. So it was not considered. It had a strange feeling about it, yeah. Okay, so I did a quick search. His name was Theodore Edward Connies? Connies? Uh, he is known at now as the Denver Spider-Man. Uh, and it just says that he was an American drifter who committed a murder in 1941 and subsequently occupied the attic of the victim's home for nine months. Yeah, that's about right, yeah. The reason I knew about it is Mom would read the Denver Post. She read it out loud, so the, <laughs> all of us, and she was... It came out in the headlines that she was reading every bit of it. This is before my sister met John. But it was right in there. It was right next door to where his parents lived. Uh -huh. So, yeah, it, it was strange, him. Yeah. yeah, so for people who don't know this story, this guy literally held up in this person's attic. I don't think he had any relation or even knew these people, if I remember correctly. And he just lived I there. I don't know initially 
why. I did know at one time, but I don't remember initially why he chose to go up there. Whether they came home and caught him and he slipped up there, then he just stayed, yeah. But he he, he was up there a long, long time. He, they found jars of excrement and everything and food where he went down and helped himself to bring up jars of food. Because, you know, at that time, people would get a lot of tanning. So he would bring the jars of, of food up there with him. So he was living off of them. And then he would come down when they got well, left the house. He would go down and, I guess, clean himself up or whatever, yeah. But he just got caught this time. And that guy came home and caught him, yeah. Yeah. It says, uh, here you go, October 17th. You in October. 1941 is when he was... Uh, uh, discovered by the homeowners, homeowner, the, the wife was in the hospital recur, uh, recuperating from hip surgery at the time, so she wasn't there. He, but yeah, he walked in and caught him at the refrigerator. Yeah, and you know the thing about that, it affected me, because like I said, mom, mom read everything about it, the, the murder, because it was a big sensation and in Denver. And when at, at our home in Salada, we had the same set up in the walk-in closet. It had this little square door that you could get up into the attic part. was the same as similar to what where this guy was. It was just a square hole that you could move the slide it over and then crawl up. It was in that in the bedroom where off the bed. The closet was off the bedroom where I slept. I for years I had a phobia I guess you would call about it I made sure that closet door was shut tight no matter what oh my god yeah even when after I got married and went up there I had to make sure that door was shut because it affected me because I remember I remember him you know him being up there like that I just knew there was somebody hidden up in that attic of our house and they oh were going to come down so I, that was the first thing I did I was stuck there and slammed that closet door real tight every night once it was shut I was okay I could go to sleep but if it was kept open I just knew that there was somebody upstairs there yeah so according to this um for anybody listening it's just a quick wikipedia search uh he somehow did know Philip Peters the homeowner it says former acquaintance and he went by his house to ask for a handout of some kind and I think that's when he realized the house was empty and he broke in to rummage it and happened to find he could have a little crawl space I guess in the attic and it says it's I think he was a handyman wasn't he a handyman he was doing some work for him that I'm not seeing. It says that he was in really poor health. And oh, yeah, he was, yeah. Uh, he worked I as a... I remember that. I remember it in detail because Mom made sure that we... I heard it over and over and over again. <laughs> uh, and I was at the age, I was very impressed, you know. Mm-hmm. How old were you? What is this, 1941? So you would have been Nine? Well, let's see, that's when the war started, so I was in about the fourth grade, so I don't know how old I was. I was about that age, yeah. Yeah, I think nine. Ten o'clock, yeah, or ten, not ten o'clock, ten years old, yeah. Uh, this says he was a, 
bookkeeper at the Denver Brass Works and worked in advertising and sales, yet he spent most of his adult life homeless because he was in just a very frail health condition, it looks like. Yeah, I never really heard too much history about him. I just know that the description of where he was at and how they found him and everything. That was in detail, yeah. I remember that real well, yeah. I wonder if that house is still there. Well, it was just like a regular little old house that's, you know, plain old house. It wasn't nothing, no, no architecture, not, not Victorian or anything like that. It was just a plain, the houses they were putting up at that time, yeah. Huh. Just a residential house, yeah. Yeah, still there. You can find it online. I I don't know if I'm, like, comfortable stating the address on the uh, podcast, but it's not a hard search. Uh, oh, I, I don't think so. I, I can remember it was where John was raised, and it was somewhere on 34th or 35th. So it's right up in that area. We're not too far from Cheeseman Park, actually. That's just something weird about that area of freaking Denver, I'm telling you. Yeah, it is. I, I'll agree with you there. There was always something weird going on, yeah. So I'm going to tell you about the time I got to stay at the Lumber Baron. And I think I've told you, but I'm going to tell you again for the podcast just for fun. Um, and I was there. I remember when you told me where you were going, I picked it up right away. Yes, and that's how I knew, uh, uh, about you knowing about the story, was because when I told you, uh, I was doing a show there called Conjure Gala, which is all fun, witchy, vending kind of thing. I highly recommend you look it up. Hopefully it's happening again this year. Last year they did it digitally because of the pandemic. But um, it's a fun show, though. I highly recommend it. But uh, so we were there and it was actually my birthday weekend. So it was really, really exciting. And just so happened that we got me and the friend that was staying with me. um, We got really lucky and were able to actually stay in the house. Like all the rooms were rented out for the presenters of the convention kind of thing. And they happened to have like. I don't know, a cancellation or somebody didn't want to stay in the house and deal with the spirits, that kind of thing. So we ended up being able to stay in the house. And uh, I remember talking to the woman that owns it on the phone. And she's like, yeah, you're going to stay in the Valentine suite, which is the room where the girls got murdered. And a uh, really cool kind of thing. Um, this, uh, the Lumber Baron and everybody that works there is very respectful for the spirits and they're not like, uh, I can't think of the word. They don't like to like show off their spirits, but the, the spirit activity is definitely very active there. I have not had experiences like this anywhere else. Um, and it started early, which was weird. Um... Like, me and the friend, we were, you know, we unpacked, we set up, and we just crashed before dinner in this gorgeous bed, and uh, I believe her name is Eileen, Uh, the woman that runs it. She 
wallpapered all the ceilings. It's absolutely gorgeous. And so we're laying in bed just looking at how pretty it is. And suddenly the door handle started jiggling. The door handle to the room started jiggling and it opened. And we're like, okay, kind of weird, but it's an old building. There's people walking down the hallways. You know, maybe it just, oh no. Uh, I stopped recording just for safety's sake. Did, do you know what happened? We had the line go dead out of nowhere. Wait a minute. Was that you? What happened? So did that was weird that the phone just went dead. I'm, did you hit a button? Well, well, I hear little noises all the time because you move around, but. Yeah, you were just yelling about the okay. door handle jiggling. Uh, so yeah, the door handle started jiggling, and the door opened, and you know, opened onto the hallway. And there had been been people in the hallway back and forth, getting ready for the evening. So we didn't think m- too much of it. It was one of those okay, mental notes. We need to make sure the doors shut and locked. Are you there? Grandma? Grandma? This is getting freaking weird. Are you there? Yeah, I'm, yeah I called you back on your phone, yeah. That's so weird. Yeah, it never, st- I don't know. I'll figure it well, out. I'm not going to touch anything else on my phone just in case it was me, okay? Okay. Um, but, uh. Okay, the door opened. So we the door, the door opened and. It it was just very strange. We had no, you know, we didn't think much of it. We were just like, okay, old building, people walking past, you know. We'll just make sure the door is shut. And that night, we're in bed after all the facil- uh, fest- festivities. There we go. And no one's in the hall. It's very late. <laughs> Everybody's in bed by this point. And we're drifting off to sleep, and suddenly the door handle started jiggling again. Mm-hmm. And we're sitting there listening, and we're like, there's no footsteps, no one's here. And then you can hear it turn, that creaking, that, and open. And we're like, we were almost 100% sure the door was locked, so we don't know what the hell happened. But that was very strange. And it, it it was just like, huh, okay, make sure the door is bolted and shut. And I think we put a suitcase in front of the door, something like that, uh, just to make sure it shut. Um, and... This is where it got really weird for me. So I have a slight, slight uh, shelf shellfish allergy, depending on the shellfish. Like I can eat shrimp like nobody's business, but like crab and lobster make my throat close. And this is like a n- new thing since college and it's stupid and I hate it. But um, in the middle of the night, 
I woke up to my throat closing. Which was very strange, because usually, you know, if I get into something, it hits me right away. And I believe is around the three o'clock hour, which is, you know, perfect for hauntings. And it was just very strange, and it kept getting worse and worse. And I went to go reach over to... And that was the weird thing. I wasn't scared. I just figured it was, you know... And now my allergy kicking in. And I went to reach for my friend to wake her up to be like, hey, we might have to go to the hospital. And as soon as I, like, right before I went to touch her, it stopped. It just total snapped out of it kind of thing. That is scary. It was so weird. And the whole thing was I wasn't panicked. At all. Like, it was a very calm energy and presence at this point. So, my best guess with that one was, um, uh, 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 what they call a residual haunt. So, basically, um, it's like a videotape. It just kind of replays itself over and over again. Yeah. So I think I was honestly picking up on her, uh, the girl that was strangled, because there was like no other thing. It was like when the doors handles were jiggling, kind of thing. Um, it was this horrible, like really ominous feeling, and we just laughed it off because it's like, oh, we know the ghost stories. Of course, it's creepy, kind of thing. Um, well, there's no denying when you get those feelings that there's a presence. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was very strange. And it was really weird. The next day, um, everybody's energy in the house had changed. Like the first day, like I said, it was my birthday. Everybody was so excited. One of the hosts, it was his birthday as well. So it was like this big party atmosphere. And the next day... Everybody was fighting. And um, actually somebody hit my car. They didn't do any damage, thank God. But um, uh, one of the women that worked in the kitchen and like she was, I don't know what happened. I think she accidentally pulled in two clothes and hit me. But it was just, it was just weird. I mean, she like full on had a breakdown over it and felt really bad. I'm like, there's literally nothing wrong with my car. It's okay. And it was just this weird stuff. And um, at this point, we got moved. We were in the back in the garden area where they do wedding receptions, which is really pretty. Um, and they moved us to the front porch that next day. So we were more... Um, around everyone else and I saw someone out of you know the corner of my eye looking in one of the windows like they were off to the side it looked like they were messing with the air conditioning unit kind of thing or swamp cooler whatever it is that sits in the window you know and I was like oh that's kind of weird I wonder because it was freezing so I was like maybe they're messing with the heat and the um husband who works, who own, also owns the house, is very tall. 
Like, he has to be over six feet tall. This man, he's very tall. And, uh, you know, I just saw someone there messing with it. Didn't, didn't look any, you know, didn't look familiar. But, you know, I just kind of blew it off. And then I went, because something just kept telling me I needed to go look. And when I went over and looked, it was a two-story drop from where we were. So there would have been no one just standing there fixing the air conditioning unit. Uh. I'm like, that's strange. That's very strange. And there was this weird, like, very suppressive feeling at different parts of the um, weekend. And then it got weird. It's very rare. I'm like, then the weekend ended. And then it got worse. I have never... I mean, I've had spirits follow me home. And they usually, you know, hang out, check things out for a little bit, and then go along their happy way. Um, whatever spirit attached to me from the Lumber Baron was one of the... Honestly, scariest experiences I ever had. Um, in our old apartment, you know, everything's hardwood floors. It's an old building. You can hear the neighbors above you walking. Um, like, as soon as I got home, I kept hearing footsteps in the living room. And I thought, oh, okay, it's just, you know, my neighbors. It just sounds very strange because it was just me and the cats. And I kept hearing it. And it felt, it sounded like it was pacing. And I actually almost called my neighbors to see if um, Josh, the husband, if, you know, everything was okay. Because you could definitely hear very distinct, loud man steps is the best way I could explain it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But if you had the cats then, did the cats show any reaction? They did. And that's when I got scared. Because um, they were in bed with me, and uh, Biggs was between me and the bed, or me and the wall, and then Lily was on the other side of me, closest to the edge of the bed, looking out the bedroom door. And their reaction is what made me think, oh shit, there's something actually in the house. Because they would never react to Josh walking around upstairs. So, uh, immediately, like, Biggs's head popped up over my hip, and he's just staring out the door. And I think I've told you, Biggs, he only reacts to things. He, he, he figures out if it's gonna f eat him or feed him, and if it's anything beyond that, he doesn't care, and he just goes back to bed. Lily, however, my little, you know, fluffy demon, um, was absolutely terrified. She actually was pushing into me and shaking. Yeah, big cats will sense them. I've never seen her shake, ever. She is this little fearless dumbass who would probably get herself into a fight before anything else. So it was like, oh, it, it like, cl that's when it clicked. 
was like seeing Lily literally shake made me think, okay, there's something actually there. I'm not crazy. This is not good. And I'm like, okay, you know, I've had spirits follow me home before. I'm not going to worry about it. Uh, it usually dissipates. I'm not going to do anything to piss it off to let it linger. I'm just going to ignore it and go with that idea. The next morning, <laughs> I got a text from the friend that had gone with me. And she was having similar uh, experiences where her cats were also freaking out about something walking around the house. And we're like, had a presence there, yeah. Yeah, it was creepy. And this happened for three nights, and uh, it actually escalated. The um, and I remember, uh, I think Jordan, I think he would have been in Minnesota at that point. And I, I remember calling him one night and making him talk to me because I was so scared to be in the house by myself. <laughs> I almost went to my mom's house. Not going to lie. It was bad. Um, but one night, same thing happened. I'm in bed. Both cats are in the same position, basically. And we started hearing the footsteps again. And I'm like, okay, this is, this is weird. I started petting Lily to try to keep her calm. I'm like, you know, we're just going to watch TV and ignore whatever this is. And then you heard it walk up to the bedroom door and stop. And you, I just got like this horrible feeling. And then it went into the bathroom. And the way our bathroom was set up, we didn't have a tub or anything. It was just, you know, a standing shower. And all of our shampoo bottles are lined up on uh, the top of the door. And... There's no windows open. This has it never happened before or since. But each bottle got knocked off in unison. Like, it was a perfect beat. It was bam, 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 bam. And I was just like, shit. <laughs> I think I would have grabbed the cats and went, home, went over to your mother's house. Oh my, no, it like, and like, it's giving me goosebumps even now because it was just the freakiest thing. I've been in, you know, plenty of places where, you know, there's like poltergeist activity, but to have something in your own house that's not supposed to be there doing that, it was freaky. Yeah. And well, how long did it last? Only three days. The next night it did, um, it knocked off only a couple bottles. Which was weird because I didn't put them all back up because I was too scared <laughs> of something breaking. Um, I only put a couple bottles up, but it did knock those off again. And, you know, the footsteps again. And that was it. It just stopped out of nowhere. <laughs> um, and it was, it was. Definitely one of the weirdest experiences, paranormally. Well, on that night was the last night. Did the cats calm down then? Yeah, they stopped so reacting. Yeah. 
Yeah, they. I have never seen Lily do that uh, since. The closest I have seen her is when we moved into the new apartment. And I saw that bear, remember I told you about? The what? The bear. A real bear? Yeah, we had a bear outside the new apartment. And it walked past, like, the window. Oh, yeah, I remember you telling me, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the only time I've seen Lily somewhat that scared. Like, she was doing the the pushing into her cat castle kind of thing, but she wasn't shaking. <laughs> no, there's a difference. When, uh, I've always known this about, especially cats. Uh, dogs, not so much, but cats are very sensitive and if they get to where their hair is bristling or they're looking mm-hmm. like they're getting ready to hiss, then then I'd be worried, yeah. Yeah, and that, that it was weird. It was very weird. And um, we uh, uh, actually, uh, Jordan and I stayed again. Uh, I think that February when we were up for the vampire ball, we stayed. And we had, in a different room, it was a different room. But we had more weird experiences. And you know Jordan. He's very skeptical of everything. But even some of this was weird for him. So, And it wasn't anywhere near as bad. Like I was terrified of something um, uh, following me home again. At the same time, I almost wanted it so Jordan could experience it as well. Which is not a good thing to do. You never want anybody to experience paranormal anything. That's not nice. But um, uh, this time, the second time, I made sure to uh, bring extra protection. And uh, I like bathed in dragon's blood and I had my pentagram. Pentagram is important to the story. You know what you should have also had, and I know you might not believe it, but some holy water. She went by the church and got some holy water. I'm all for whatever item that works. I would love some real holy water in my arsenal, not going to lie. But it was just, it was weird. It, It was much calmer. And, you know, we're getting ready for the evening. And, um, uh, I put... I bought a brand new stick, eyeliner stick, and I was very excited for this. Uh, I put it next to the TV with my pentagram necklace. I didn't wear it that night because it didn't match my outfit. The next morning, they're both gone, and I tore up the hotel room looking for it. And I thought this was really weird because, like, Jordan had, like, money right next to where this stuff was as well. And that was still there. So I'm like, okay, nobody came in and stole my eyeliner and necklace and didn't take the cash. That's ridiculous. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. And so I, I did. I tore up everything. I'm like, this is insane. I went through everything. Couldn't find it. I was really, I'm like, the eyeliner was irritating, don't get me wrong, but my pentagram, I'm very, like, I've had that for years. I was very upset. And uh, we got home, and I went through the suitcase again. Like, maybe it fell in something. I made Jorin go through all of his stuff again. 
Nothing. And I'm like, this is very, very strange. And then, um, me being me, <laughs> the suitcase came in. And at this point, I started to get busy with shows. And the suitcase sat. And I didn't unpack it until I needed something out of it. And uh, it was laying flat. Because the cats had knocked it over. And I went and opened... Um, the flap and it opened and right there in the middle of everything was my pentagram necklace <laughs> just and you couldn't have put it there yourself no it was like you open the suitcase like you lay a suitcase flat and then you open it it was perfectly in the middle just sitting there yeah and i'm like that, that is weird that didn't make any sense. I never got my eyeliner back, which was very upsetting. But this was just there. I mentioned it to, you know, um, the owners at breakfast. And they said they were going to pass it along to their housekeeping staff. And it was, it was just very strange. I had gone through that suitcase so many times and just to open it. And it's sitting perfectly. Like, if it was sitting you know, standing straight up, it would have fallen to the bottom of the suitcase. The fact that it was just sitting in the exact middle of my luggage was so freaking strange. Yeah, you know, that, that, that place, I know when we were still living in Denver, even a, a couple of years, well, yeah, a couple of years later, there was always people and I thought well you know at the time I just thought people were just talking to hear themselves talk but there was always somebody saying something about strange things going on where the girls got killed yeah and I think the people that had the house or something moved out or something I don't remember what the whole story was like I said we moved from there then so but there was always something strange about that place yeah I think there's been a couple of owners but don't quote me too much on that. Because I think the current owners have had it five, ten years. And I don't think they're the ones that did the major, major renovating. But don't quote me on that. Hmm. Strange. Yeah, it was a, it was a very strange thing like I will never get over Lily freaking out always believe your pets when they start freaking out about something especially a cat especially a cat I don't know April uh uh my my lab growing up she would react to everything well yeah she did but April was kind of spoiled. <laughs> she was not That spoiled. was your dad's dog. He was spoiled. She was my dog. But, you know, she yeah. re she reacted and read energy better than almost any creature I know. She's up there with, like, every cat I know. Other dogs, not so much. <laughs> well, I know Ralph, our dog, but then, you know, I didn't put much story into a lot of that stuff. It wasn't until later years that I began to to recognize that there's something going on. But uh, Ralph would sit up all of a sudden and look, and then he'd get up and he'd walk around the house. And he'd just 
kind of, he didn't want to lay back down again and then was yelling out, lay down there and be quiet, you know, poor Ralph. But yeah, they will let you know, but cats especially will definitely let you know. Oh, yeah. And now I know, um, actually I had, I don't know if I told you this story, or I don't think I told you this story, at least on the podcast, but I actually had another spirit <laughs> recently follow me home. And, um, uh, I was on a video chat with a friend, actually my buddy Phelan, who's now a admin for the Facebook group for the podcast. Um, I had her on video chat and we were watching cause I could hear it walking in our living room and watching the cats watch it go back and forth. They just both sat in the hallway and just watched it go back and forth. Yeah. And Lily eventually turned and ran to me. And Biggs just sat there waiting. Like, are, like, are you going to go to the kitchen? Are you going to get me something? Mm. <laughs> That's his only worry. <laughs> That's literally his only concern. He and Well, Lily's a girl. Yeah, but... Female cats will pick up faster than the... You know, it, you know the male thing, and in, in even animals, the males are so stupid. Really, they <laughs> Damn, are. You can't say that on the podcast. <laughs> Don't. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, they're slow and picking up on things, or they don't let things bother them, but the females are smarter, yeah. I'm not going to edit it out because it's funny, but just everybody know that I do not fully agree the the comments made by our guests do not fully what is it represent the views of the podcast. Just saying. Yeah, well, I lived for thirty years with a stupid one. <laughs> That's well, funny. I hate to tell you, but my phone is beeping. Perfect, because I think I I mean we hit plenty of time. I need to go and do some. Historical research for the first part of the podcast, and we can call it. So, thank you so much, Grandma, for being on again. I hope you had at least a little bit of fun doing it again. Yeah, it was interesting because I can go back. I'm trying to pick my memory a little bit better, but yeah, all I know in that area, it was it was a weird area that I could admit to. Yeah, oh, that's so creepy. Well, I love you, and I will talk to you tomorrow, like I always do. Okay, well, you take care of yourself. Be careful. Do you want to say anything to the podcast listeners? Well, this has been fun. It's been interesting. I kept forgetting I was on the podcast, to tell you the <laughs> truth. Yeah, so, yeah, it's kind of nice to go down memory lane, and I wish my memory was a little better, but that's about the best I could do. <laughs> okay. big thank you to everyone out there listening again today. I hope you enjoyed it. And of course, a huge thank you to my guest, my grandmother, for being a part of the show again. You might have noticed that during the history section of the podcast, I usually do it in one piece. This time it switched and there's a pause in between. That's because my grandmother tried to call me while recording. Ah, uh, Grandma.
I love you. Yes, I will walk you through how to get it on your pod, uh, your iPad again. It looks like the website for the Lumber Baron is down at the moment, but you can stay at the Lumber Baron Inn. It's a wonderful little breakfast, bed and breakfast, and the food is awesome. The website, when it comes back up, is lumberbaron.com. If you just Google Lumber Baron Inn in Denver, you'll find it. It's the only one. If you like the podcast, please rate and review me on your favorite podcast apps. It goes a long way to helping other people find me. If you like what you hear and want to support the show, please subscribe to my Patreon page. I have added some more video evidence from our last ghost hunt to the Patreon page, so go and check that out when you can. And that's it for this week's show. I'll see you all next week on my Haunted Life podcast. Bye!